is a Thursday at Brandon World, and you already know what that means. We're going to my social media link in the description below. We are in collaboration with the one and only Voltage Live. Not going to waste the time with the intro today because we have to get to the wrestling war that occurred between WWE and NXT on Tuesday night, along with Triple H, is reportedly back as the head of creative. Is CM Punk coming back to WWE or not? Plus, we gotta talk about the MLB postseason. Before we do all of that, it is time to jump right in to my week six NFL money line and best bet predictions. Now, last week in the money line, I went 10 and 4. That puts me at 52 and 26 going into this week in best bets. We went 4 for 5. Only missing New England against New Orleans. That puts us at 17 for 25, which is a good pace on the year entering week 6. The lines this week are not great. I do like one of my money line predictions. Don't love all the lines. Without further ado, let's get right into it. Okay, we know the Chiefs are going to beat the Broncos on Thursday Night Football. The question is going to be, do they cover the 10 and a half? This reminds me a lot of San Francisco against the Giants, though I do think Denver is going to play with pride. This is a divisional matchup, which is always worrisome to me when it's a double-digit favorite on the road, short week, divisional matchup. Denver has been the laughing stock of the week so far. They just got humiliated by the former coach, Nathaniel Hackett, and the Jets on Sunday. I think it's a prime bounce back game. Denver, even though they've lost to Kansas City, like, what is it, 15, 16 times now? The games are usually, at least in the last couple of years, seemingly close. Sean Payton is going to have those guys ready to play. The question is going to be, can Denver stop Kansas City enough to keep the game close to cover the 10 and a half? It's likely Kansas City wins by two touchdowns, uh, but I think that there are some better numbers here on the board. Not going to spend a lot of time on it. Again, with Denver, the biggest question is Garrett Bowles, the two receivers, Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, Patrick Sertan. Do they sell off any of those pieces at the trade deadline to try to get a quarterback, even though Russell Wilson's massive contract does not kick in till next year? Very tricky game here in London. Would have been a little bit less tricky. I would have loved the Tennessee side if Baltimore would have came out with a win last week against Pittsburgh. I'm going to pick Baltimore here because I think they're going to be angry. I think that they're going to want to come to London. They're going to want to tackle Derrick Henry. And listen, the people are laughing at him last week for the way they blew that game to Pittsburgh. But Baltimore is coming up back-to-back road divisional games against the Browns. And yes, it was Dorian Thompson Robinson, but still a divisional game along with the Steelers. There is a chance here for Baltimore to have a wet-down, for Derrick Henry to have a big bounce-back game. Baltimore has played Tennessee well in the past, which is why I think they will do so here. I actually think they win by three. Uh, I think Tennessee likely would be the side here at plus four, even though I'm going to pick Baltimore to win the game. I'm not going to best bet them. Now, this game is interesting, Niners-Browns, because we don't know the status of Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson. 
If we knew his status, if we knew he was healthy, we knew he's playing the six and a half points, I would take the Browns all day. Uh, I think the Browns do match up very well with San Francisco on on the uh, defensive line with, of course, Darius Smith, Miles Garrett, um, Maurice Erz, Delvin Thompson, the additions they made in the secondary. You've got Greg Newsome, Martin Emerson, Denzel Ward. I do think the Browns roster construction can match up well with San Francisco. The question is going to be if Deshaun Watson does not play, are they going to be able to run the football enough? Are they going to be able to stay on the field? Are they going to be able to put enough points to keep San Francisco's offense off the field? I think Jim Schwartz will pressure Brock Purdy. I think he will give him different looks. I think Purdy will struggle a little bit. Without Deshaun Watson, San Francisco may win by 7 or 10 points, which by the line is what it is. I'm going to take San Francisco to win the game for now. Again, we just don't know the health of Deshaun Watson and that weird, uh, you know, torn rotator cuff contusion is what they're saying with Watson. Stefanski said he was confident he was going to be healed coming off the bye. He has yet to practice this week. Now, I am going to bet, best bet this game. I bet Cincinnati last week. They were favored only by three on the road against Arizona. I thought Cincinnati was the right side. This week, they're once again only favored by three. Now, Seattle has played well on the road. We saw what they did. They went into Detroit and won that game. Um, but Seattle, you know, they're coming off their bye. They're well-rested. They're going to have two weeks to prepare for Cincinnati. But Cincinnati knows in this gauntlet of an AFC North, especially if Baltimore can pull out a victory against Tennessee, they are in trouble if, if they don't win this game. They see their schedule coming up, San Francisco coming up, Buffalo coming up, Jacksonville down the pipeline, Kansas City down the pipeline. They need to take wins as they can get them. I think this is a winnable game at home. I think Cincinnati picks up the victory. Now, Indy at Jacksonville. Intriguing game for me because of the way Gardner Minshew has played so far for, for the Colts. And the Colts arguably had Jacksonville uh, in week one. They want to get away from them late. The question is going to be, can Gardner Minshew play well when he's now officially the full-time starter like he did week three against Baltimore? Jacksonville now, two straight London games they were involved in. Now they come back home to play a divisional rival. Could be a bad spot for Jacksonville after an emotional big victory last week across the seas against the Buffalo Bills. I'm going to pick the Jaguars to win, though I'm not totally confident. I think Indy could pull off a road upset here, even though they have struggled down in Jacksonville in the past. This Colts team with Shane Steichen has seemed to turn the corner. I like their direction. I think Jacksonville wins, but I think there's a good chance here Indy could cover. Next game, we got the Saints at the Texans, and I'm going to go ahead and best bet this game. The Saints are only favored by a point and a half, which basically means if you are confident enough the Saints are going to win, and I do, might as well take this bet. Um, The Saints defense is really good. I mean, they shut out Mac Jones last week. We know what they do to young quarterbacks. As good as C.J. Stroud has looked for the Houston Texans, Houston's weapons aren't great. Damian Pierce has really struggled in the run game. Saints' defense is really good against the run. I think Houston's defense can give New Orleans some problems. I think this is a lot like the Houston-Atlanta game last week 
where again it was 21 to 19 Atlanta. I see a similar score here. I think it's 20 to 17. I think the Saints squeak out a victory, but they do cover the one and a half point spread. I'm not going to bet the big spread again here with Miami, though I've tempted to. Uh, obviously, we know what Carolina looks like. They might want to sit Bryce Young down. Adam Thielen's a nice receiver. He's having a really good year, uh, but he's not a number one wide receiver, and we all know it. There's not a lot of separation. Carolina's offense looked bad. Uh, I keep saying, you know, Devontae Adams, if he's available for the Raiders, I'd go out and get him, give Bryce Young a legitimate number one weapon, especially considering the fact that you don't have a first-round pick next year because you gave it up to the Chicago Bears. Uh, Carolina needs to get the kids some weapons. I'm not down on Bryce Young yet, but this season is looking like a disaster for Carolina. I think Miami stays at home here before their big game against the Philadelphia Eagles next Sunday night. They roll against Carolina. Next game, I'm going to best bet as well. I got the Commanders on the road, plus two and a half. I'm taking them as a dog over Atlanta. Atlanta did not look great against Houston last week, and yes, they're at home, but Washington got humiliated uh, against the Bears on Thursday Night Football. When you get humiliated on, on, on television like that, the general rule is you're going to bounce back and play well the next week. I think Washington's defensive line is able to handle Atlanta's offensive line. I think Sam Howe does play well. I think Terry McLaurin gets back on track. You have Curtis Samuel there. You have Dotson. You have Logan Thomas. Uh, Brian Robinson, Antonio Gibson in the run game. I think there's enough pieces for Washington offensively here. I think they're a little bit better than Atlanta. I'll take Washington on the road plus two and a half. I've also taken the Bears plus two and a half. To go at home and upset the Vikings. Now, Justin Jefferson is on IR for Minnesota. We don't know how that changes the Vikings offense. The Vikings season is basically seemingly over. After winning 11 one-possession games last year, they can't they can't win one this year. There's a lot of talk of Kirk Cousins being on the trade market. Minnesota really struggling. Their defense is not as good as people would have thought with Brian Flores coming in. And now the Bears. I don't expect them to play well as they did against Washington on Thursday night, but they are carrying momentum. Minnesota's secondary is not very good. This feels like a game where Justin Fields, DJ Moore, Cole Komet can get in here to get back on track. I think Brian Flores will do an adequate job on Justin Fields, but even against Denver when they lost that game, you could tell Chicago is starting to figure things out offensively. I've been critical of Matt Eberflus, that coach, Luke Getze, the offensive coordinator, but at the end of the day, I think Chicago figures it out. Divisional rival as Minnesota looks like them in Green Bay are going to be the two teams in the basement this year in the NFC North. And we all thought Belichick would bounce back against the Saints. He did not. I don't know what to think of New England, but if they can't beat Vegas to me, then they can't beat anybody. Uh, we saw, we know the debacle that happened last year with Mac Jones on the last play of the game, or even with Matt Patricia, they would have beat Vegas last year. I know McDaniels is best buds with Bill Belichick, obviously. I've advocated for McDaniels to come back to New England and be the head coach of the Patriots next year because I think that's the one place where that offensive culture could fit. Mac Jones seemingly had a good relationship with Josh McDaniels, more than what he's had with Bill O'Brien and Matt Patricia. 
But regardless, here, I think New England, like, you got to win this game. Your next couple games coming up are Buffalo and Miami. Those are tough games. And like I said before, even if they did want to tank for a quarterback, uh, they don't have enough weapons to do so. And I know Bill Belichick is not a believer in tanking. They have some easy potential upcoming wins later in the year with Washington, the Giants, Denver, um, you know, there's Pittsburgh in there, there's Indianapolis in there. So there's some wins potentially in the schedule. You got to get them where you can get them. This is potentially one of them here. It's why I'm going to pick them against the Raiders. Now, I'm not going to best bet here, but for my survivor pool this week, I'm taking the Rams over Arizona. I think Cooper Cup really helps this offense. I'm not a believer in Arizona. I said it a couple weeks ago. Once they got their big one against Dallas, that's it. That's probably going to be the one win they get all season. Listen, they played up for three quarters. They just don't have a lot of depth. They don't have a lot of pass rush. Matthew Stafford, Puka Nakua, Cooper Cup, Kyron Williams. The Rams have enough offensive pieces. Arizona's offensive line is bad. Aaron Donald has a bounce-back game after basically getting shut out against Philadelphia last week. Rams win, though I'm not going to best bet them. Because if you notice, I do have four bets in the 1 o'clock window this week. Cincinnati, Washington, New Orleans, Chicago. So I'm going to save my last bet for the 4 o'clock window. And that one being not the Lions and Bucks. I'm going to take the Lions. I'm not going to best bet them, though. I think the Lions win the game. I don't know by how much. The Lions are very good this season offensively, though they've given up a lot of points defensively. This almost feels like a trap game for Detroit with Tampa coming off the bye. Uh, Todd Bowles, defensive-minded coach, two weeks to prepare for Jared Goff and that Lions offense. I think this game could turn into, into a shootout. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Sam Laporta, Monron St. Brown, who will be returning from his injury. You know, Josh Reynolds, Jameson Williams, you know, Rashad White, um, Gibbs if he's back, David Montgomery. There's a lot of good offensive pieces here for a chance for this to be a 34-31-like ball game. I think it's telling that Vegas only has Detroit as a three-point favorite here in Tampa because they think Tampa's going to be able to put points up on the Lions. I agree here, which is why I will not best bet the game, and I would not be surprised if Baker Mayfield woke up feeling dangerous and threw the ball and Tampa upset Detroit. But at the end of the day, I think the Lions are a very good football team. They pull out the victory. I'll take Philadelphia here. I'm laying a touchdown against the Jets. Yes, I am. But uh, Zach Wilson played well against Kansas City. Not that great of a defense. Played well against the Broncos. Not that great of a defense. When he sees Jalen Carter, Josh Sweat, Jordan Davis, Brandon Graham, Hassan Reddick, that Milton Williams, that Philadelphia front, uh, I think he's going to be rattled. I think that they can put Darius Slay or James Bradbury on Garrett Wilson, take away the other weapons. I think Philadelphia is going to be able to get big plays over the top. Looks like Sauce Gardner is going to be on A.J. Brown. This sort of feels like a Devontae Smith game to me uh, after he struggled last week against the Chargers. Also, or excuse me, against the uh, Rams. Also feels like a Dallas Goddard game. I think Philadelphia gets uh, the win by at least a touchdown. They cover the seven-point spread. And then Buffalo is favored by two touchdowns against the Giants, which is unbelievable. This game's going to be on Sunday night. Listen, I'm not going to hammer the Giants again. I think it's very possible Buffalo wins by 14 or more points. There's just better value here. 
on the board uh, than betting Buffalo minus 14, even though I think this could potentially turn into a ball because let's face it, the New York Giants are not a very good football team and Buffalo is going to be angry after losing to Jacksonville last week. And then finally here, Cowboys at the Chargers. I'm going to take the Chargers to win. I know Dallas got embarrassed on primetime. Dallas is going to come out. They're going to play well. Probably going to burn me again with the Chargers. That's why I'm not betting the Chargers. The two bets I like this weekend that I stayed away from is New England and the Chargers. Just because they burned me already once each this season. Uh, and I don't trust Staley or Belichick at this point in the season. But I think Ellen Moore is going to have some clever creativity. Justin Herbert, Austin Eckler probably coming back. We'll see how they do without Mike Williams. I think Josh Palmer is a guy to look forward to step up in the offense. I think Dallas is going to be motivated, though, to go out and win this game. This should be a fantastic game on Monday night. In the end, it's a bad coaching matchup. It's bad decision makers. I think the Chargers are the more explosive offense, which is why I will take them to cover by a field goal. Win this thing like 30 to 27, and I think they'll cover the two and a half. Though, again, I'm not going to best bet it. So as a recap, in the money line, I have Kansas City over Denver, Baltimore over Tennessee, San Fran over the Browns, which I may change depending on what happens with Deshaun Watson, Cincinnati over Seattle, Jacksonville over Indy, New Orleans over Houston, Miami over Carolina, Washington over Atlanta, Chicago over Minnesota, New England over Vegas, Rams over Arizona, Detroit over Tampa. Philly over the Jets, Bills over Giants, Chargers over Dallas. My five best bets for week six of the 2023 NFL season are Cincinnati minus three against Seattle, Washington plus two and a half against the Falcons on the road, New Orleans on the road covering the one and a half against the Houston Texans, Bears at home, plus two and a half against a tanking Minnesota team, it seems. And then the Eagles, I think, go on the road. They cover the seven points against the New York Jets, led by Zach Wilson. If the rumors are true, then, folks, it is a great day to be a WWE fan because reportedly Triple H, ever since the Endeavor, Deal has officially come to pass in WWE and UFC emerged. Triple H is now in full charge of WWE Creative. Now, I have covered this Vince McMahon, Triple H creativity, Vince McMahon in and out of WWE for the past almost year and a half now. It has been the most wild time ever to be a professional wrestling fan. We'll get to the NXT AEW Tuesday Night War either in the next segment if you're listening on audio or in the next video clip if you're listening on the YouTube channel. But I have said over the last, you know, what would it be, 14 months that Triple H now has effectively taken over as head of creative in WWE. WWE, in my lifetime, and I'm 25 years old, I've been watching WWE since May of 2007. In my lifetime, arguably, and again, I came up at the very tail end of the ruthless aggression era going into the PG era. There has never been a more exciting time to be a fan of specifically world wrestling entertainment. You know, when WWE came back in 2021 after the whole COVID show and there was no fans for basically 16 months, 
WWE was hot at that point. Uh, and then CM Punk, who we're about to get to, by the way, uh, joined All Await Wrestling. And at that point, AEW had the most momentum, arguably, they ever had in a company. And then 2022 occurred when, you know, WWE morale was down and Vince McMahon was making constant, you know, booking decisions on the fly and attendance was down. And the morale in WWE is really bad and ticket sales were down and merchandise sales were down and it just felt like uh WWE at that point had had no momentum and it felt like the company needed a spark. And that spark occurred when Triple H finally stepped in. And for the first time in a long time, he is using a lot of different wrestlers, either those that you know came up with him through NXT or those that have been WWE, you know, for a long time, the real veterans in the company. Uh, they are doing long-term storytelling. They're not just booking for a cheap pop. They're not just booking uh, for the crowd engagement, though they are giving more baby faces their love. I've said this before. Cody Rhodes, Jey Uso, Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens, L.A. Knight, they are five white-hot WWE baby faces right now. Yeah, and one of those reasons is because fan attendance is up merchandise is up and WWE is actually booking these wrestlers like people as opposed to wrestlers that are playing robots. Monday Night Raw is a perfect example. Why does Drew McIntyre not want the Judgment Day to be the WWE champion? Because he already dealt with the bloodline on SmackDown. He doesn't want to deal with with another faction on Raw. You know, the Raw roster being uh, hesitant to welcome Jay Uso, even though he has broken away from the bloodline because of all the things the bloodline did to a lot of those SmackDown wrestlers at the time that are now on Raw, all makes sense with obviously Cody Rhodes and Sami Zayn trying to convince the roster. Everything going on with the Judgment Day, it almost feels like the wrestlers now are, you know, they're not just playing characters. It is like watching a reality TV show. I've said before, it feels like WWE has stolen some of the writers that have been on strike at NBC Universal, uh, specifically for Raw, because SmackDown has turned into a great wrestling show. Uh, you know, SmackDown two hours is a little bit less time, obviously, with Raw to what stories breathe. Or Raw has been the more story-based show, though some terrific wrestling matches this past Monday on Raw, including that that Chad Gable, uh, Brunson Reed, Ricochet, Triple Threat Match, Shinsuke Nakamura and his feud with Seth Rollins and, you know, him breaking out and turning a full-on heel and targeting the back of Seth Rollins, which we know has been injured for a long time, makes perfect sense. Like, everything is just making sense. WWE is putting on compelling storylines. Uh, and again, using more people, giving everybody a story, giving everybody a reason. And, you know, while some of the NXT hires have, have not worked out, guys that have worked out, such as Brunson Reed, uh, Karrion Cross, by the way, is said to receive a big push reportedly on SmackDown. That, to me, once again, indicates that Triple H is in charge of, of Ed of Creative and not rushing decisions. The slow build with LA Knight, the slow build with Cody Rhodes. You are giving yourself an opportunity to essentially handpick who is going to take down Roman Reigns, who does feel like a special attraction because.
is he has not been around for a while now that he premieres on the season premiere of SmackDown. The Intercontinental Champion Gunther is on raging on both cylinders. You have DIY back. There are so many things happening both on screen and off screen. You know, whether it's backstage interviews with people talking in the background or whether it's just terrific in-ring action. It feels like everybody on the show has a part to play, even if they're not specifically being used every single week. WWE has had a problem for a while of having superstars buried in catering or not having to do with somebody. And they needed more depth on the roster, specifically when AEW took a lot of those wrestlers when they were leaving while Vince McMahon was in charge. I think WWE is once again building up the tag team division. I was not sure about how the undisputed tag team championships were going to work. I think having one tag team championship belt for now certainly makes sense. You could certainly make the same case right now, I would say, about the women's division. Maybe they just need one Women's Championship, but the Intercontinental Championship is finally getting talked about again as a prestigious championship. Thanks to Gunther, Rey Mysterio is doing great things with the United States Championship. We have a World Heavyweight Champion defending and wrestling every single week in Seth Rollins, while the Tribal Chief still feels like a special attraction with the Undisputed Universal Championship. Merchandise sales are up, ticket sales are up. Crowd enthusiasm is definitely way up. Signs are back. They're screaming. They're loud. It just feels like a reinvigorated WWE right now, thanks to the control of Mr. Paul Triple H Levesque. Now, with that being said, there is a potential rumor out there, a very interesting rumor when it comes to WWE, and it has to do with this man right here in my virtual background on YouTube, CM Punk. Now, we know over the past couple of weeks on Monday Night Raw, WWE has been saying promos that CM Punk used to say. We saw the GTS Shinsuke Nakamura delivered Ricochet. We heard the backstage report of CM Punk being interested to go back to WWE. We heard the report of CM Punk wanting to return at the 2023 Royal Rumble, but AEW and Tony Khan would not watch CM Punk out of his contract. I've covered, once again, as much as I've covered the Vince McMahon backstage drama with WWE, I've covered the CM Punk and the elite drama in AEW. And I've criticized CM Punk. I think CM Punk was a cancer to that AEW locker room. But I'll say this, and as much as you know, my favorite wrestler of all time is Edge, now Adam Copeland in AEW. Edge is not as big of a draw as CM Punk, and I think anybody that watches wrestling will admit that, and AEW has not had the ticket sales or the buzz that CM Punk did bring to the promotion. CM Punk is a major star, whether he has baggage or not. He reminds me a lot of a Terrell Owens, if you will, in the National Football League. The question is, is the baggage worth the reward? And I think in WWE structure, because let's face it, it took CM Punk about six months to figure out that AEW was a complete crap show, which is why he crapped on the elite at that all-out pay-per-view in 2022. I think CM Punk, you know, sometimes we realize the grass isn't always greener. Punk resented WWE for so long, and after AEW thought they had become a viable second promotion, CM Punk was looking to put that promotion on the map, 
And then he realized AEW wasn't as great as he thought he was. He realized he made a mistake. He still has that itching desire to earn a pro wrestling. And I do think, because there are reports out there that WWE has not signed Punk. They're not willing to work with Punk. They want to temper expectations. They did the same thing with Cody Rhodes when it came to WrestleMania 38. They did the same when it came to Bray Wyatt at Extreme Rules last year. I believe in my heart of hearts, CM Punk is showing up to confront the Tribal Chief, Roman Reigns, at Survivor Series 2023. And, you know, it may not be Punk vs. Roman next year at WrestleMania. You may get Punk vs. Seth Rollins to main event night one, Roman Reigns versus either The Rock or Cody Rhodes at night two. It looks like where we are at it. But I think CM Punk will not be able to pull his antics backstage with WWE. There's a lot of respected leaders in that locker room. Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, The Miz, you know, Cody, Kevin, Sammy. There's a lot of guys in WWE right now that either Punk is mixed up with when they were really young, like a Rollins or a Reigns. That would be completely different feuds now or feuds. And as I mentioned, guys like Cody Rhodes, Sammy Zayn, Kevin Owens. Ricochet, Gunther, L.A. Knight. I mean, the possibilities are endless. I think Punk coming back to WWE would be a guy on his best behavior. I think that a guy like Cody Rhodes, who was in AEW, we're seeing now Jade Cargill come from, from AEW to WWE. I think WWE really has their eyes on MJF. If his contract is truly up in 2024, if he didn't secretly re-sign a deal with AEW, which my thought process is that he did that, even though I do hope that MJF eventually does become a member of WWE myself. But I think CM Punk coming back to WWE, I do think it's going to happen. I think it's about right. It's been a decade. I think, you know, relationships can kind of mend the fences uh, over time. And I think this would be CM Punk on his best behavior. I think this is the way CM Punk gets his name back into the good graces, back into the good graces of the media, if you will. And I think CM Punk will be reinvigorated and he knows the way that WWE works and it's different now, right? It's not Vince McMahon's way or the highway. You know, some wrestlers are getting creative control. There's a lot more creative freedom. There's a lot more fan enthusiasm. And I think WWE fans, there's a lot of questions about would they open Cody Rhodes back up with, with open arms. Cody was not that popular when he left WWE. He was not popular when he left AEW. And yet he's been the biggest baby face, arguably, in WWE over the last year and a half. The same thing could be said about CM Punk. The Punk is a little bit more dislikable. You could see Punk eventually turning heel, but I think the WWE Universe would welcome CM Punk back, and I think WWE should absolutely pull the trigger on Survivor Series 2024. Well, the ratings are in for the NXT AEW Tuesday Night War. And after Tony Khan talked all that crap, WWE brought John Cena, Paul Heyman, Asuka, The Undertaker, among others, to NXT. And NXT strategy absolutely worked because NXT had 909,000 viewers, the 0 .30, 1849 demographic, AEW, meanwhile, 609.26 demographic, which is a big difference when you're talking 18 to 49 demographic, as well as, of course, the 300 more thousand viewers that tuned in to NXT last night. 
Now, those of you who know, I'm not a big fan of AEW, and I don't watch WWE NXT that often. I'm a very casual professional wrestling fan, if you will. I will watch WWE Raw. I will watch WWE SmackDown. I will watch the WWE Premium Live events. That's about it. I only tune into AEW to check out my favorite wrestler of all time, Edge Adam Copeland. You all know how I feel about AEW. I feel that they cater more to the hardcore fan base. Tony Khan likes to roll up his fan base, thinks that, that the AEW fan base is only people that have completely turned on WWE. And the reality is WWE caters to the masses, whether you've been a wrestling fan in the past, present, or future. And WWE as the name brand to them, and AEW has not developed new stars. Uh, they do not cater to the masses. They do not have long-term storylines. And they feel like more of a rebel. They sort of feel like WCW white to me, as opposed to a second legitimate professional wrestling company. To me, the only reason why AEW is sticks around is because of the billions of dollars that Tony Khan is worth, and because they have that TV deal with Warner Discovery. We'll see how that changes things. But to me, TNA was always a real alternative, and TNA did good viewers. Back in the day when they had Kurt Angle and Jeff Hardy and Sting and all those guys. And AEW just feels like the old guys are going there almost to retire. And to reinvigorate their career uh, as they were in TNA. So yes, WWE did bring John Cena. Yes, they did bring The Undertaker. Yes, they did bring Asuka. They did bring all their big boys. They were expecting a win against AEW. Cody Rhodes as well. Uh, but I thought WWE NXT last night, again, I'm not a, a, a great NXT watcher, but I thought they presented Carmelo Hayes, uh, Ron Breaker, obviously, and some of the young stars they have very well. I enjoyed the pub match and the, the uh, Dijakovic versus Dominic Mysterio NXT title match with LA Knight, yeah, as the special guest referee. Those were my two favorite matches on the night. All I saw of AEW was, once again, uh, Adam Copeland's match against Luchasaurus, which, as much as I loved Edge, uh, could not get into that match that much. Mostly a Luchasaurus beat down. Edge hits one spear. They had a random brawl at the end of the show, which didn't make any sense. So AEW is reeling. Be interested to see how Tony Khan responds on Twitter as he was telling a bunch of crap like all the AEW fans do. Yet AEW cannot back it up. WWE backed it up. And listen, is it good that wrestlers can go other places outside of WWE and get their work in? Absolutely. But for AEW to think they're on the same level as WWE, they are not. And I've talked about this. I talked about this earlier today on the podcast. WWE is on a different level right now. Raw, SmackDown, NXT, as opposed to AEW. AEW has not regained the momentum that they had in the fall of 2021 when they brought in Adam Cole, Brian Danielson, formerly Daniel Bryan, and CM Punk. WWE has not stopped slowing down the momentum since Triple H took over as Chief Content Officer last July. That's what it came down to. Tony Khan's the one that chose this wrestling war on Tuesday night. Could have had Thursday night on TNT. He decided to go head-to-head with NXT, and we'll see if this humbles AEW, and we'll see if for the long run this makes AEW a better promotion if they can book better storylines. Alrighty, ladies and gentlemen, and then to end today's show, the MLB playoffs have been in full swing. Now, I have not talked a lot of MLB playoffs here on Brandon's World. I have talked a little bit of the MLB playoffs. 
uh, over on Championship Reigns, which, of course, me and Josh Unger do in collaboration with Voltage Live, just like this podcast is every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. As always, that channel link will be in the description below. But the MLB playoffs this year have been a little bit strange because there will not be a team with over 90 wins left as we go to the AOCS and as we go to the NLCS. I think the two most shocking series so far was obviously Texas taking out not only Tampa, who, of course, Tampa Bay got off to such that great start, the best start uh, in the history of Major League Baseball, only for their pitching set of all part, the Juan Franco situation in Durello, uh, and Tampa won from the best start in MLB history to not even winning their division, to not even winning 100 games, to not even winning a playoff game. And then, of course, Texas goes in there and absolutely obliterates Baltimore pretty much in all three games. And we know this about baseball, and we're seeing this in baseball this year, uh, you know, differently from the NFL, different from the NBA, different from the NHL. In baseball, home field advantage does not matter as much. Uh, when you have a best of five series, and I've always said this, it's why I don't personally like the best of five series, because I always thought the best of five actually benefits the road team, because all you need to do is steal one game on the road, like we saw Texas do, you know, like we saw obviously the D-backs do, like we saw Houston do, like we saw Philadelphia do. If you just steal one game on the road and you serve home, I mean, you have a chance to sweep or win the series in four games, especially if you win in game one. You know, it really does put um, the the home team at a disadvantage. But in baseball, you know, it's all about who gets hot. It's not necessarily about the best record. It's not about who's the best team. It's about who gets hot. It's about timely hitting. It's about good managing. It's about great pitching, not only from your starters, but from your bullpen. And this postseason, from what we've seen, the Philadelphia Phillies, the Arizona Diamondbacks, the Houston Astros, the Texas Rangers have had the best pitching, even though obviously Atlanta, who I had initially picked, by the way, to make the World Series out of the National League, I had picked them to lose to the Houston Astros in a rematch of the 2021 World Series over there on championship rings. That was my World Series prediction. Uh, but now, in my opinion, it's looking like that we are going to get Houston versus Philadelphia the first time we may have a World Series rematch since 1978-1979 when the Yankees beat the Dodgers both years. It is the longest drought in the four major sports by far of championship series rematches. Of course, in the NFL, it was the 90s, Cowboys-Bills, NHL 2008-2009, between the Pittsburgh Penguins, the Detroit Red Wings, and then uh, in the NBA, it was obviously those Cavs-Warriors four straight years. But Texas, you know, a veteran manager, Bruce Bochy, Houston veteran manager, Dusty Baker, um, I you know, obviously, I feel like those two very old-school-timey baseball guys, you know, Dusty Baker just winning his first World Series last year in Houston, Bursbochi, the success that he had with the Giants, the Rangers-Astros rivalry. They were neck-and-neck neck in the AL West, along with the Seattle Managers all season long. 
Uh, and I'm really looking forward to this series. You know, I think Houston wins it in six games. It'll be very interesting to see Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, former Tiger teammates, former Mets teammates earlier this season. Of course, Scherzer got dealt to Texas. Verlander, who has looked okay in the postseason, though not great, going to Houston. Uh, very interested to see that series. Philadelphia just feels like a team on a mission, obviously losing the World Series last year. They struggled early on in the year. They've gotten hot as of late. They played the Braves later in the season, and they just have great pitching, and they can hit the ball out of the ballpark at every time. They just feel like they have momentum right now, where Arizona feels like a good story. Now, they beat the Dodgers, swept them in the postseason. I still don't know if they're necessarily better talent-wise, than the Dodgers, but again, it is all about who gets hot in the MLB postseason. This is why the baseball postseason is so fascinating, because we have games almost every single night, uh, because the playoffs are, are, are only 30 days long, and because of the nature of baseball. And the other interesting portion of this is, you know, Houston plays inside, Texas plays inside, uh, Arizona plays inside, the Phillies now are the only team in Major League Baseball where if Philadelphia gets to the, to the World Series, we may have to deal with a little bit of cold weather. You know, in baseball a lot, we talk about, you know, in the summer when they when the heat index is up, the ball flies out of the ballpark, and in October, you need better pitching and timely hitting because you're not going to be able to hit a lot of those home runs when the weather turns cold. The weather is not turned as cold this October. It's why we're seeing a lot of home runs hit. But I think the fact that Philadelphia is the only team now that plays outside in potentially cold weather when it gets to the World Series, that could be a factor. I'm very interested. I think Philadelphia can beat Arizona in five or six games. I think Houston, Texas goes down to game six or seven. Houston will have the home field advantage and so will Philadelphia. Don't forget, it's a 2-3-2 series format in the MLB playoffs, which, again, I always thought favored the road team because if you get, again, you steal game one or game two on the road, you have three straight home games with an opportunity to close it out in five games. In the end, though, again, I think Philadelphia beats Arizona in five. I have Houston over Texas in six, and I think for the first time since the late 70s, we get a World Series rematch. Bryce Harper, who, you know, I've criticized the Nationals, obviously, uh, won the World Series the year after he left. He is a superstar, though, for Philadelphia. He's almost reinvented his career with the Phillies. And obviously, we talk about the Astros. Seven straight ALCSs, unprecedented. You can say what you want about the cheating. Nobody respects their 2017 title, but at the end of the day, Seven AOCS appearances are impressive, and it's why it, oh, somebody would genuinely knock them off. I am picking them to at least reach the World Series. So that'll do it for today's Brands World. I thank you guys so much for listening. What? Oh, we have a good weekend in our NFL picks and best bets. Obviously, it's undercover today in the wrestling world, along with the MLB playoffs. We'll be back to talk about any development over the weekend. There's a big Oregon-Washington game going down in college football this weekend as well. So if you enjoy all the sports this weekend, enjoy the weather, and we'll talk to you on Tuesday. Once again, we are in collaboration with the one and only Voltage Live. And